0: Turn to three. Positive rotation.
1: Ignition.
2: You guys have a nice fight. We'll see you back here.
1: Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Coming up, Mr. Ken Stevens, formerly Senior Master Sergeant Ken Stevens, talks with troops from the 126th Operations Group about going it alone coming up in this week's look around the air force chief of staff of the air force general cq brown makes it clear that multiple capable airmen are important to his uh, future operating concept Recently, the 126th Operations Group went to Savannah, Georgia, for hands-on training. 126th Public Affairs, Ken Stevens, spent the week talking to airmen on the deployment for training. Lieutenant Colonel Brent Smith, Operations Group Chief of Standards and Evaluations, tells Ken about the group's mission in Georgia and says it's not a regular
0: DFT. We have uh, brought two KC-135s and uh, almost the entire ops group to uh, Hunter Army Field in Savannah, Georgia, and we're operating two KC-135s out there doing refuelings over uh, basically the panhandle of Florida. We're various fighters, and we've been here. Uh, we're going to end up doing that uh, three days, of the five-day work, work week,
3: and that's uh, about it. Now we've also been doing some training here. Um, can you explain to us about the type of training that the uh, people are receiving?
0: Absolutely. So operating two KC-135s out of Hunter Army Field
3: is nothing cosmic normally.
0: Um, in fact, they do a big exercise here called Century Savannah once a year. Two to four tankers refueling 40 to 50 uh, fighters, uh, four lines a day over the course of two weeks. Uh, big offloads, a lot of refueling going on. It's, it's a great exercise. So when people think of us coming here with two case 135s, uh, on the surface, it's not something that is out of the ordinary. But what we've done is uh, in, cord- in, in kind of uh, preparation for future events uh, in line with General Minahan's memo, we're taking our air crew and we're putting them outside of their comfort zone, which is what he stresses we should be doing. If you're comfortable in your training, you're not doing it right. So what we've done is we've, we've brought the the operations group here to Savannah, Georgia. We're operating out of Hunter Army Field, and we've taken away all the tools that crews normally have access to. Um, I don't want to get into specifics about the scenarios that we created to do that, but what I will tell you is that we have taken away their GDSS uh, access. So they don't have their normal crew papers that they would have. They don't have access to weather. Um, For our SARM troops that are here, we actually brought SARM with us. They don't have access to GTEMs, so they can't pull products from GTEMs. We've simulated outages that have prevented them from using the normal tools that they use on a day-to-day basis. Um, There's various reasons for that, but, uh, again, we're taking them outside their comfort zone. Uh, We've also given them mission-type orders uh, that have been simulated so that if they do have questions and they can't reach C2 nodes, they know what to do if something happens. And what this is doing is it's forcing them to plan every single mission themselves. So the crews are getting together the day prior and planning their missions. They're doing self-pl- self-plan, self-file. They're finding their own weather products. They're calling the receivers themselves. And they're going out and they're doing the mission. And those are just some of the things that we're doing here. We've also brought um, AFE with us. So we're doing some chemical environment training. Uh, in fact, we have an aircraft landing today at uh, 1315, and we're going to process them through a through a line to de- a decontamination line while they're wearing their aircrew battle ensemble. Um, that's another thing that we're doing. The most, one of the most interesting things I think that we did was a uh, proof of concept. We've taken a uh, off-the-shelf Starlink unit, and I'd like to thank the 375th Operations Group for loaning that to us. And we took that equipment and plugged it into the power of the KC-135, and we set up a Starlink on the ramp. And by doing that, we were able to successfully establish communication with satellite and link up a mission planning computer to that satellite and have internet, as well as several iPads so that we were able to establish connectivity with, through our iPads. And what this shows is that if we were somewhere in an austere environment where we didn't have access to C2 and we were operating off of mission-type orders, we could establish communications with command and control and... Uh, basically get an update on what's going on and, and, and uh, direction from C2 authority. Um, I think that was a very, proving that we can do that uh, was very successful, and the crews were able to do it with very little training. They, they didn't have any, in fact, the manual wasn't in the box for the Starlink, but we were able to figure out, get the satellites established, and, uh, and move forward. Um, again, it's just taking us out of our comfort zone of what our, we normally do on a basis and taking away the tools that are normally accessible to us because in a high-end fight,
3: most likely we're not going to have those tools available to us. Okay, so yeah, it sounds like you're trying to kind of downscale your resources. Um, what, like, what specifically, what, what, like what kind of tasks are affected by the? What, what kind of tasks are you expanding into in your training um, that you would normally do?
0: Again, it's basically taking them outside of their comfort zone. So the crews are very uh, comfortable with, taking the paperwork that's normally provided to them and the websites and the, down, all the all the access to the mission planning paperwork that they normally have and going out and doing the mission. Um, by taking all that away from them, we're forcing them to do all that themselves, the things that they're not comfortable with, such as pulling out a mission planning computer and planning, the, uh, making a, an actual flight plan, a 200, if you will, using jump software. Because uh, a lot of our DSGs, um, they... Our current op shop normally plans the missions for them so they can show up and they can go do the refueling uh, missions. And by making them do that, we're, we're kind of taking the, the skills that we know that they have but they're a little rusty and we're kind of sharpening that blade and making sure that they're, they're fine-tuned to do, do things like that. So those, those are some of the things that we're doing to help create this environment that we've,
3: that we've done. So how important is this to your mission? That be able to do this.
0: I think it is extremely important, and uh, the problem is, is that we have been, you will, fighting for the last twenty years. I mean, obviously, we've, we're done with with that, and I know, think we all know what we're talking about here. But we've been doing the same thing for twenty years. We've been going to uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, doing the same refueling missions, using canned missions. Uh, literally, I remember flying. Out of Afghanistan doing canned missions where I didn't have to put any real thought into it. You figured it out after about four or five sorties, and everything was the same. It never changed. So once you got there and you had you had a script of what to say to get out to the areas and back. And uh, that that it still sounds like, oh, okay, that sounds easy. And to to an air crew member who's doing a refueling mission, sometimes it was really easy. Um, but it became repetitive and you become you become Routine, it can becomes a routine for you and you become complacent um, It doesn't there was no challenge there after doing that for 20 30 40 50 days in a row uh, What we're looking at now is they we, we need to be prepared to go into austere environments where we don't have Products provided to us. We need to be able to land in in a remote island and do uh, Hot pit refueling or an austere field somewhere. We've never been with no direction other than uh, mission-type orders and figure out what we should be doing next. So we're gonna lose connectivity in high-end fights. We're going to lose uh, the ability to contact our C2. And we're gonna need to know what to do next. And our, our air crew need to be trained on how to do that. And that's what we're preparing for. We're, we're trying to, to get ahead of anything that may happen in the future and make sure that our people are prepared for this. And how's the team here doing? I think they're doing fantastic. We hit the ground running on Monday. Um, in fact, we, we landed here and we had our own issues of uh, logistics. We, we, had, we miscalculated how we were gonna get off the flight line and get the vehicles and we figured it out. Uh, there were a couple of snafus there. We had the crews uh, mission planning. As soon as we landed, they started mission planning and did a great formation brief and pulled out their uh, mission planning software and started going at it. And then the next day had a very successful mission uh, everyone's been in high spirits. We, we have a uh, uh, conference room at the hotel that we're doing classes on different types of uh, things that are required for our annual training. So I've been doing a lot of that. So I, I'd say everybody has been taking this very serious. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Another thing that we did do that is a little unusual is we did a class on servicing aircraft. And we've actually taken the aircrew outside to the aircraft when jets are returning and we're launching and recovering the aircraft with air crew members. Now, obviously, they're not doing it solo. Uh, we have them shadowing the maintenance, but we're doing, we actually have air crew members pouring the oil into the engines that we need to top off on the oil. We're actually having them watch the refueling, talking with the maintenance on, on techniques and, and, uh, checklists that they are going to need to use to service an aircraft themselves. Because in the future, we may find ourselves in a situation where air crew members are servicing the aircraft themselves. Something that we're not used to. We're trained to it. We don't ever do it, so we're out here actually doing that task to make sure that we've honed our skills for the future.
1: Senior Master Sergeant Matthew Lubeck, the superintendent of the Air Crew Flight Equipment, begins by explaining his understanding of the operations group training in Savannah.
2: If you are in a contested environment or you're trying to remove yourself from a contested environment, sometimes you have to do more than just your standard job. So that is for the air crew. A lot of times, you know, they're used to, just hey, I get in, I fly the aircraft, a boom operator refuels whoever needs fuel, and then we go back. Well, if they ever land someplace and there is not support entities for them, like POL or an you know age, or there's not somebody there to help them with any of their with anything they do on the ground, they need to understand how to do that. And so that's what the, their primary focus was this week is to learn those things. At least that's the way I, I took it. Um, so what is your role in this? Well, the air crew flight equipment came out this week to... Uh, we sat through some classes. Because if we ever go anywhere as a unit, typically we have to bring everybody and we are one of the support entities. And I think it's beneficial for the shop and the other airmen to understand that we may be pulled into situations where we're doing things we're not used to as well. We may have to marshal an, an aircraft. We may have to help uh, a crew chief replace the parts. We may have to refuel if if necessary. So um, I, I've i had the shop sit through some of the trainings and uh, and make sure that we are understanding where this is going and where the wing wants to go and the military is going. But the primary reason we were here is so we can conduct the, the aircraft, or air, excuse me, air crew contamination control area, which is the, the decon process. If we ever land in a contested environment where there's chemicals, the air crew can then land and be you know, cleaned, reconstituted to go fly another mission at a later date in time.
3: Uh, let me back up a little bit. Um, what is AFE?
2: Aircraft flight equipment is all the support uh, equipment that's on the aircraft, like the escape slide off the tail of the aircraft or the rafts, if we ever, you know, heaven forbid, land in water. There's, there's flotation devices for each individual, and there's the emergency oxygen, so if, the, you, know, if you ever lose cabin pressure, they have the emergency oxygen there, so you can put one of those on to be able to breathe until the aircraft comes down to a, a normalized level where you know the cabin pressures more more even. but that's that's what we do is we ensure that in the case, in, in the event of an emergency, the pilots or the passengers on board should hopefully be able to escape safely and make sure that, that everybody um, can survive until real help arrives I guess.
3: It sounds a little important. <laughs> Yes, I, I think it is,
2: yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so how do you think your team's doing? I think they're good. Uh, we were a little shorthanded this week with only four of us. So going through the, the, the air crew contamination control area, that's a little difficult because we probably need seven-plus people to make it really function properly. But we had some help from some of the other outline sections in the OSS. Um, they, were, they were coming along to help us out because we knew we were shorthanded. But it, it worked well. Um, was it perfect? No, but it, it, it's a learning it's a learning process, and I think we'll get better each time we do it.
3: Um, so aside from the manning, which I think everyone's short man there now, uh, is there, Are there any other challenges you've come up against this week?
2: Not that not. That. Nothing job really related. No, I mean finding which place is the best to get dinner is usually the hardest <laughs> thing right now. But, but no job okay. related. No, we you know yeah. we go out each day and we we do the things we have to do with the jet each day to make sure the jet's ready to fly. And they're out there, you know, they're flying their missions, they're coming back, and I'm not hearing of any issues that concern us. So that's always good. We don't want that. But other than that, no, just making sure that we were prepared for this for this ACCA today to go off with. As best we could, as best as we could.
1: Master Sergeant Ashley Bradford, an air refueling wing specialist, aka a boomer, explains how the agility combat employment training is helping her become a multi-capable
4: airman. Basically, this is just a way for us to project ourselves forward and prove that we are able to be agile within any environment and we are able to project forward and still be uh, mobile and functional in any environment.
3: So what, what, what does that really mean?
4: Um, it means that at a moment's notice, we are able to pick up, move anywhere that we could possibly land our aircraft and be able to still do our job, maintain the aircraft, and turn and continue to do operations as necessary.
3: So you're your operator, you're, you're the air crew, yes. um, you get the planes in the air,
4: yes. but you don't fix the
3: planes. You don't service the planes. Very true. So if you go to somewhere without maintenance or a very limited maintenance facility, this does what for you?
4: Um, This allows us to be able to take some of those fundamental core tasks that like your crew chiefs would do as far as servicing oil or hydraulics or putting fuel on the aircraft and help um, make the air crew have more well-rounded knowledge that allows us to be able to do those things in an environment where we maybe not necessarily have maintainers with us to keep the mission moving forward and not stop us in our tracks.
3: So now we're not talking like you guys go out there with a whole toolbox and tear the plane apart. No,
4: we're talking basic maintenance functions that will keep the aircraft flying. So more of your lower level maintenance things.
3: Sure, just checking under the hood.
4: Yes, exactly.
3: How do you see this affecting your operation?
4: I think affecting operations, well, first of all, in the short term, we're obviously a lot more busy because we're trying to get everybody Spun up and and get that knowledge, that baseline knowledge there for everybody. But I think in the long run, the long run, excuse me, um, it will just make us more well rounded. I feel like it will take your essay as to what's going on and just expand that. But then also, it makes you more mobile force.
3: Um, well, what kind of things have we covered this week while we're out here?
4: Well, we've actually done quite a few things. I know yesterday we were all extremely busy with learning about aircraft servicing. So. We spent quite a bit of time here in the classroom environment talking about the principles of servicing, what you're looking for when you're putting fuel on the aircraft, um, oil, hydraulics, even uh, defueling operations. And then we went more into the practical in the afternoon and actually went out to the flight line, caught an aircraft that had come back from doing F-22 missions um, out on the Gulf, I believe, and then actually put those principles that we learned into the aircraft in practice on the airplane. So
3: you're not just getting... Classroom experience? you're actually getting hands on. Yes,
4: yes. When we took, we brought maintainers out here with us, so we we brought that knowledge force of what we need to do with us, so they can really give us that hands-on opportunity in a safe, contained environment.
3: What's um, so been like your favorite thing to do so far? Your new thing to do? <laughs> um,
4: actually, I really enjoyed the refuel, like the fueling portion of it. Just learning about how they apportion the fuel into what tanks and how everything works. Um, I think as a boom operator, obviously, we refuel other aircraft, but we don't often talk about the principles of how we get fuel on board our aircraft, and so learning the specific mechanics of it. But I love the opportunity that we have to just come out here and uh, be together as an operations group. Um, It's been a couple of years of COVID and all that kind of stuff, and so it's really great to, like, knock a lot of that rust off and come out here as a group and really get our hands dirty and learn how to do things. Um, Yesterday, one really cool thing that we did is we actually had a Starlink, um, satellite that we are able to link to a satellite and get Wi-Fi, which is really cool. It would actually help us out on the road a lot to be able to um, expand our ability to pull crew paperwork and that reach back capability with the C- other C two and other agencies.
3: What about the quality of training that you get? Do? do you do you feel really confident that you're getting enough training? Uh, what quality enough training that you're um, capable? Very qualified to do these tests?
4: Yeah, actually, so the way that they built the schedule, there was a lot of redundancies built into the schedule. So um, one day, one crew might be out there flying. The next day, that crew's in the classroom. And then the third day, they're actually out doing the hands-on portion. So I feel like we've had multiple opportunities within the schedule to kind of like see one, do one, teach one, so to speak, you know. And over the few weeks in leading up to the DFT, we've done a lot of training surrounding that as well with top hit refueling and aircraft servicing at home station. So this has really just been a great way for us to move it out of our comfort zone from home base and come out here and practice those things that we've set the foundation for at home.
3: I'm sorry, you say you have had practice? Yes. Okay. So, so this-
4: we had kind of like the basic fundamentals at home. We have gone out and done some aircraft servicing stuff at home, but then we come here and we've sort of just expanded on that knowledge with the classroom work together, but then also going out and helping as they catch missions. And performing those actions with the crew chiefs out there
3: so this is something that you're going to continually do absolutely to, to keep your, your proficiency
4: yeah it's all about readiness and um you know that agile combat employment mindset essentially in getting us ready to be mobile at any given time i don't have way. the foundational knowledge uh for getting up there and fixing you know gac equipment avionics equipment um, sheet metal for getting out there if we have something like dents and stuff in the aircraft but I would say if there's a way that I can be taught to do something to keep the aircraft at a minimum, you know, getting oil on the jet, getting hydraulics on the jet in order to keep it flyable and turn it and get it home or do what needs to be done, then I think that that's a great thing. To Not
1: do. only did Ken talk to them about the mission in Savannah, Georgia, he also asked about their time serving in the Guard. Lieutenant Colonel Brent Smith shared his
0: career journey. I have been in the Guard for 21 and a half years. Have you been in the Guard your whole career? I have been. I've been with the 126 since day one. You've been a pilot that whole time? No, actually, I originally joined. I was in logistics. I was in uh, petroleum, oils, and lubricants. as a fuel specialist, and I did that for five years uh, while I was going through college. Um, I found out about the Air National Guard basically from a flyer uh, that was just at uh, Southwestern Illinois College. When I was going there for a semester, I saw that, and I said, I'm going to go look into this. Uh, looked at the education benefits that were going to be provided to me, and uh, I decided to go ahead and sign on the data line and take that next step. Um, my original plan was to do my six year commitment and get out with my free tuition and all my benefits that they gave me. Uh, and I actually enjoyed it so much, I had planned on reenlisting. However, right when I got done with my, uh, after I graduated college, I saw that there was a position for a pilot. And uh, I had been doing a little bit of, uh, just a little bit too, of flying lessons and getting a little bit of time. And I thought, you know what, this is something I'd like to try. So I applied to the position and I was fortunate enough to be selected for it. Um, and that just completely changed the course of my life because I never intended on being a pilot, I never intended on being in the Guard more than six years. Here I am 21 and a half years later, I've been flying KC-135s for over 15 years and I love every second of it. So I, I could see myself doing that um,
3: probably for another uh, six to seven years. What, uh, as far as flying your KC-135, what are some of the places you've been to?
0: I have been to a lot of places. Um, my favorite place to go is Germany, uh, I've been there several times, uh, obviously been to Hawaii several times, Guam several times. Uh, I've been to Afghanistan, uh, literally on the ground with a KC-135 for 60 days, uh, two deployments doing that. Uh, but we also have done fun stuff, I mean, uh, here we are at Hunter Army Field uh, in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, although we're getting great training out of this, I mean, there, there are times to go out and sightsee and do things, so I've uh, been all around the world. Um, too many places to even count.
3: Okay. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here, sharing your thoughts with us, and good luck on your training. Thank you. Thanks, sir.
1: Master Sergeant Ashley Bradford reveals her education plans and explains some of the benefits and perks that she's taken advantage of while being in the Air National Guard.
3: Found out this morning we were talking, and you are finishing a college degree.
4: I am. I'm working on my degree right now.
3: And what degree is that?
4: Uh, intelligence Studies.
3: Intelligence study. Yes. So you're uh, a boom operator and you do that full time?
4: Uh, Yes, I do. Okay, so you are a full time
3: guardsman. Intelligence degree help you in that job?
4: Well, I just started my class on Monday. So, but I think um, expanding your knowledge in any area is a great thing to bring. Um, You know, we're transitioning into new environments, there's always emerging threats out there. And so, I think having a degree with some kind of intelligence background and stuff could be useful in any environment.
3: What made you choose that study?
4: Honestly, I'm just fascinated with that line of work, you know, Um, and that's, I chose it because just from a surface level, I'm fascinated by it, which made me want to dive deeper into it. So I thought to myself, you know what, if I'm going to go to school, I want to get it in something that I'm interested in. And so it drew me in and um so far, like I said, I'm a week into classes um I'm really fascinated by it
3: so the guard has illinois guard especially has, has a lot of benefits for for schooling is
4: yeah, it? um we are one of the i think few states illinois that is hundred percent tuition if you have a if you do a six year enlistment, you get hundred percent of your school benefits paid for, and that was my main reason for joining the guard actually was originally education benefits and then I wanted to travel, so I have gotten those two things in spades now i took a huge gap between when I was going to school like 15 years ago and now I'm proof in the pudding that it's never too late to go back and, and get your degree but um traveling in spades being a boom operator I feel like I've gotten to travel all over the world and see amazing places and meet new people and visit wonderful cultures and um it's been a wonderful experience
3: well I appreciate your uh spending some time with us today thank and you. talk about this
1: thank you good
3: luck with your studies
4: Thanks. Senior
1: Master Sergeant Matt Lubeck talks about the various positions he's held while serving. I
3: know that this is not the first job you've had in the garden. No, sir. How many jobs have you had?
2: One, two, three, five. This is number five. Wow, more than
3: me even. Yep. <laughs> so what, um, what's the advantage of that? Is, is, what, what causes you to kind of think, okay, I've spent enough time doing this, now I want to do that, now I want to do what, What's behind all that?
2: It sometimes it's, sometimes it's career progression, you know, you, you've got to move to if you want to see future growth or, you know, and sometimes it's a, a job is, it's it just gets to a point where like I need something different, you know, and then other times where, you know, with my wife being in the wing, I was told that I, if I don't move my job, I will hold her up. And so I was like, okay, I guess I better go find another job somewhere else. So I didn't want to do that. So. But the main—I mean, it was—I'm not actively searching out new jobs. It's just if a situation popped up and I knew about, it and I was like, you know, I think that'd be interesting, I would apply, and you know, hope for the best. So the the
3: guard process has it been that difficult to train into another job, or is it fairly?
2: It, I guess it just depends. Sometimes you get lucky, and you're the only applicant. Uh, if if yeah. that's the case, then hey, then you win by default. Um, sometimes you know it's. I guess the benefit of being being in the guard a lot of time is you're around people for a long time. And if you do a good job routinely and you go to work and you have a smile on your face and you're you're out there working hard, people take notice. And then so if you do apply for a job that is outside of your normal realm and the selecting official is somebody you just happen to have worked for before and they're like, you know what, I I'm willing to give this individual a chance because I like their attitude, and I like their, the effort they put in when whatever task they're doing. So I think that just having a good attitude and going out and putting in the work can open a lot of doors in the guard, I think. And, you know, and I think it's beneficial. I think it's, it doesn't matter what, what rank you're on. It just, you just go out and you, you enjoy it, or, or at least act like you enjoy it, and, uh, and work hard. I mean, it can, a lot of good things can happen.
3: Uh, I think that's about it. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Okay.
5: Secretary of the Air Force Frank Kendall is emphasizing the need to modernize and reshape air and space forces to confront China and other emerging powers.
3: We are united in our commitment to modernizing the air and space forces and achieving the transformation we must have to be competitive with our pacing challenge. China, China, China.
5: As part of that transformational push, Kendall says older platforms are being divested while the department's budget for the next fiscal year includes close to 20 new efforts. He spoke at the AFA warfare symposium in Colorado. Chief of Staff of the Air Force General C.Q. Brown Jr. announced the Air Force Future Operating Concept also at the Warfare Symposium. The concept ensures long-range planning that intentionally links to joint warfighting.
1: As airmen, we must think differently about how we fight, fight, and win. With we accelerate, change, or lose, we need to think about the speed, the agility, and lethality we have that'll be force multipliers. We must adapt. We cannot do this by ourselves. In order to be successful, we've got to
2: work together.
5: Brown says collaboration within and throughout the defense ecosystem is the key to success in U.S. Joint Force modernization efforts. Potential Air Force recruits now have more incentive to join, thanks to the reinstatement of the enlisted college loan repayment program. Eligible recruits can apply for up to $65,000 in repayments, Their enlisted contract has to be under the program and they have to complete three-level skill training in their specialty to get the benefit. Initial enlistment bonuses are also back for high-demand career fields. That's your look around the Air Force. I'm Staff Sergeant Jasmine Granger. A reminder
1: that it's tax season. And if you haven't filed yet, yell it to yourself
5: to check out
1: military one source. It includes free, easy to use tax prep. Uh, Me and my wife, we use it every year and never really had any major problems. If we did have a a problem, quote unquote, a problem, we had a question, we wanted to to define something. uh, We just called uh, military one source. I'll put a link to military one source in the description of this podcast. If you are having thoughts of suicide or know someone in a mental health crisis, call the Military Crisis Line 988. That's 988. You can press 1. You can also uh, text them as well. You can find all of our links on Linktree. That's linktr.edu ee forward slash one two six dot arw if you're watching on YouTube or uh, in this case listening on YouTube you can also download this on your favorite podcast app if you want to pass along some information you can email roll call at one two six dot arw dot pa dot mm dot O-R-G at us dot af dot mil thanks for listening to roll call a one twenty sixth air refueling wing podcast focused on people, mission and community I'm Master Sergeant Brian Ellison
2: 50, 30 20 10.